Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We are also going to be doing a quick review between us two, a spoiler-free one on Dune. And then we're going to have my conversation with three big fans of Dune that have read the books. Um, and that will be spoiler-filled. So the first big piece of news we got this week was a trailer for the Uncharted movie starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, and I am disappointed. Let me tell you, what a what a huge disappointment! What a what a what a way to just copy exactly what's in the game and not make anything original for yourself. Wow. Well, it was a very cinematic game, so I mean, at some point there was going to be the overlap there. However, no, I there looking... isn't. Jesus Christ! The, every you and Alexa both have made this point of like, of course, there's going to be some kind of like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Kind of no, I'm fighting no, this. No, point. save I'm it gonna, for beat the, you up, Ryan. Save it for the inevitable Uncharted episode that we're going to do, where you're going to hate this movie and rant against it, and then also praise ah. the Uncharted games. I'm looking forward to that. It'll be great. That'll but be this special. Then you can try to fight me on that point, and we can have our whole debate there. But no, I'm putting a pin in it now. Absolutely not. The trailer happened. Fine. You were disappointed. We knew you were going to be. I was also pretty disappointed. I mean, Tom Holland doesn't right, look like right. Nathan Drake, even a young version. It seems weird, but seems uh, very weird. I don't know. Go, go off Sony. Hopefully, it'll. Well, I don't know. It probably won't break the curse of bad video game movies, um, but we will see. It comes out February of next year. Another bit of news we got is that. In addition to being in the Obi-Wan series, Hayden Christensen will also be in the Ahsoka Disney Plus series, which is super exciting news because we have never seen a live-action Anakin and Ahsoka in the same space, which is super cool. That is super cool. I'm looking forward to that. And also the Kenobi thing. I mean, that is well-documented on the podcast. I am absolutely in love. You have a raging hard-on for Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. That is an accurate way of phrasing it, absolutely. So I cannot wait for that. We um, start each episode with you saying hello there. I mean, it's that's true. true. It's the eternal homage to yeah. Obi-Wan. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Again, with the Ahsoka Disney Plus live action series, it's so weird how like she is such a crucial character in the expanded universe. But mm. And I guess that will, like her being in The Mandalorian and her having her own Disney Plus series will make her more like widely known. But it's kind of sad that she'll never end up in she's never in the skywalker saga yeah she's never gonna end up in like one of the theaters i mean maybe they can do it who knows but um yeah yeah but still she gets her own spotlight so that's great and then seeing hayden christensen come back to reprise that role will certainly be interesting all right and our final piece of news is one that came earlier today and it is very relevant to the main topic of discussion dune part two has been announced, confirmed. It is happening. Woo! That is, yeah, something that we were concerned about going forward. We knew that this was going to be just part one, and we were wondering whether or not it would get a part two if it didn't do well at the box office. But it did well enough. 
because they have just announced that part two is coming in October 2023. So a couple years, but it is coming, and that's fantastic. And the reason why is because it did well at the box office. Moving Mm. into our breakdown for this past weekend, the 22nd to the 24th of October, Dune came in at $41 million in its opening. Fantastic stuff. Ooh. I'm so... It got just where we thought it would. Like we were both hoping it would crack forty, and it did. It did do it. Good job, Dune. I thought it would do a little bit better, but I'm still satisfied with forty-one million. Like that's pretty good. And it's like two hundred thirteen million worldwide, so that's doing great for you, Dune. Exactly, and it's also like that makes it over Godzilla vs Kong, the biggest uh, theatrical opening weekend for a film that is also available day and day on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. It got. According to Samba TV, which again isn't like factual information about how many people actually viewed it, but it's the best estimates we have. 1.9 yeah. million people watched it, which is more than the people that watch Zack Snyder's um, and a, essentially the other half of all the HBO Max movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did well on there as well. Like if it, if it was absolutely, it just cratered and nobody watched it on HBO Max, um, and then nobody also went to see it in theaters. It'd definitely be a more bleak outlook, but thankfully people showed mm-hmm. up at the theaters and Thank people God. were showing up on HBO Max. There's been a lot of good buzz about it. Like I think like an article had showed because Timothy Chalamet tweeted out that it was happening and it's up to like 300,000 likes, Damn. which is a, like intense engagement. So um, good for that. The whole Dune team, Denis Villeneuve, mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet. Great stuff. We are getting Dune Part 2. So good news out of the box office. Also, this is the fourth week in a row that we have had a film open at more than $40 million. Yeah. So look at that. An achievement for the Coming October back. box office. Bouncing and- back. Bouncing up. After Dune, we had our last week's number one coming in second this time. Halloween Kills with $14.4 million. That is a 70% drop, which is kind of steep. If you ask me, it's pretty it steep is- fall. But it's kind of expected for a horror film, and then it's also the weekend between Halloween. It's likely going to have a much better hold come mm-hmm. Halloween weekend. Yeah, but yeah, definitely quite a steep drop. It yeah. nearly was overtaken by No Time to Die in its third weekend, which got twelve million, which is pretty good. I think that was on par with what we thought it would make. A little bit, maybe a little under expectations. Definitely under certain expectations, especially for you, was our fourth place, which was Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Only made $9.3 million this weekend. You thought it would crack double digits. I was doubtful, and I was correct. I don't remember saying that at all. I don't remember if we predicted Venom last week. But, yeah, I guess I would have wished it were double digits. I'm going nice. to clip the audio from last week of you saying <laughs> that. I'm going to put it right here. Okay, and now it. we're back. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to forget about it because I'm not <laughs> the problem is I'm not, I'm not taking notes right now because I'm tired and it's 1140 at night. So I'm not taking notes about where oh. any of this is. I need to do Duolingo. Hold <laughs> on, put this by. <laughs> what are put you learning on, on Duolingo? French, you know what's up. Come on. How Look, long have you been doing new. Duolingo French? 69 days. How well do you speak French at this point? Because you took two years in class. You passed the test to skip it in college. I can read again? French really well. I can't speak it or understand people speaking it. That's great. That is the problem with Duolingo. 
Well, I mean, they do try to get you to. Well, that was from like me in high school. Yeah. Like those years that I took that. Again, I was just, I, I excelled. <laughs> I'm also, I'm also doing French Duolingo, which is kind of funny because I'm doing it in anticipation for Alexa and I's trip to Europe next May. What? <laughs> that peaked. Um, did I cut <laughs> that out? Did I and not then tell in, you about that? All right, and then well, put let's, in let's, a... <laughs> let's let's keep going with the show, and then I'll talk to you about the year. Why didn't trip. that show up in the banter in the Halloween special? What the heck? We're in well, last, we decided this yeah, weeks yesterday. ago. Well, we we've known about this for months, and we ultimately planned it out a, like a couple weeks ago. And I guess I just forgot to tell you, but well, Jesus. I'll I'll talk to you about it after the show because we're we're crunching time here. It's eleven. We'll talk about it. I'm tired tomorrow or summer of the day because yes, it's very late, and we recorded a whole another episode before this. Anyway, after Club Ben the Will Be Carnage, yeah, go listen to the Halloween specials coming out at the same time as this episode. And it's spooktacular. We have our friend Sean Tormey on there. We talk about Halloween and Black Christmas and Scream and Halloween Horror Nights and The Thing. We talk about all kinds of Halloween-related things. You're going to try to release them both at the same time? You're going to double edit? Back-to-back yeah, editing I mean, like I they have, didn't do for the That's all movies? I'm doing Thursday is editing. <laughs> wow. I'm just, I mean, I should be able to crack it out in four hours on Thursday. Because the problem is, I have to listen to your whole thing that you did with the other guys because I wasn't there for it, and that's going to take the bulk of the time. It's a whole thing. After No Time to Die, going back to our box office breakdown, or after Venom of the Pre-Carnage, is Ron's Gone Wrong, which is the animated movie that I've never heard of until like a couple weeks ago. It made $7.3 million, which is... Uh, isn't this his opening weekend? That's kind of bummer. That's true. Um, I did say last week, I was like, oh, I'm $18 million or something, because I thought... <laughs> I just yeah, didn't I know. Of course, you said that. I already played the audio already. <laughs> <laughs> we said that for Venom. Um, because remember when Adam's family came out, and I was like, hi, although that's more well known. I think they just dropped this. Like, this was just because this is a Fox property, but it, yeah. Disney is obviously releasing it. So I think mm-hmm. they just put no marketing behind it. Uh, that makes and sense. And just let it fall as a dud. And so it got 7.3 million, which that is not great. Anyway, after that was the Adam's family 2, which was 4.5 million. Then the last duel with 2 million, Shang-Chi with 2 million. And the French Dispatch coming at very bottom with 1.3 million. But that is only for 52 theaters, which makes it a $25,000 average, which is killer. That is killing it, dude. It is. Timothy Chalamet had quite the weekend. Props to Wes Anderson. $25,000 per theater for such a, a lower budget film compared to all these other ones is very good. I mean... Good for the Frenchs, but they should do a wider release and see how much money they can make off of that. Well, they're rolling it out slowly. Yeah, that's what um, Wes Anderson usually is. I remember we did this yeah. with Isle of Dogs. We talked about it then, and I remember this happening with Moonrise Kingdom because I remember being a kid and going to see that, waiting for it to come out eventually. I remember that. Anyway, we have our box office predictions. We have a couple of new big movies coming out this weekend. The, the biggest one is Edgar Wright's Horror movie, his entry into the horror franchise as a serious horror movie as opposed to a comedy horror movie like some of his earlier works is Last Night in Soho. Um, 20, 22 million. That's my prediction. I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I really don't know because it's a known director and writer, but it's a brand new property. It's Halloween weekend, so I don't know like how much people actually go out to the movies on the halloween that's a good point weekend so and i can't really gauge it too well so i'll say 15 to 17 million okay 
And then also Antlers, which I've just, I think I've been hearing about Antlers for like a year now. Because it was about to drop when the pandemic hit. So it's been. So it's been a long time. But I'm going to say Antlers, 8 million. It's a horror movie. I think people are interested in seeing it, but I think it's been a year. I think people have lost touch. I think it won't do any better than 8 million. Yeah, that's definitely one that people are going to just wait for it to hit PBOD or something. Yeah, can you stop so, doing Duolingo while we, while we were? I'm so this? close. Look, hold on. You, I am you keep, studying. You keep muting it so you can speak in French. <laughs> I, it's killing me. Anyway, after Je, Antlers... Oh, you're killing me. J'ai Buko. What is tu I forget what tu is. Etudi. Etudi? Studying, yeah. Oh, you study a lot? Yeah. Oh, look at that. Wow. I remember well, quite a bit of French from high school. Welcome to our French. I can't work, speak yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, the cat's taking part too. That's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. After Antlers, uh, Dune, we have some thoughts about Dune. I guess in its second week drop, I think it'll probably also get about 18 to 20 million, maybe. Probably. Hey, I think that is right on par. Because I be think quiet, we'll Coco. have a fairly good hold. I know, right? She's trying to be vocal. She's trying to join in. Start your own podcast. She has her own opinions about Dune. <laughs> How did you see it, Coco? That's crazy. She said, it was pretentious. Meow. <laughs> she <laughs> ran into the theater and saw it in IMAX. It was amazing. Hilarious. And of course, um, Halloween Kills is entering its third weekend, but it's also Halloween weekend. So I'm thinking, of course, there's going to be a drop. But the third weekend drop is never as big as the second weekend drop. And also, it will be probably lessened by the fact that it is Halloween weekend. And this is a very big franchise associated with Halloween. So I'm going to throw out, if it made how much? It made 14.4 million, I'm going to guess 8 million this weekend. I'm going to say 10 million. I think you can crack the double wow. digits. That you can quote me on. I'm going to see next week. And next week, you'll be like, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> double digits. I don't even remember saying that. I'm going to have to quote you from this week then, too. It's going to be perpetual quoting of my last week prediction. But this yeah. one will be correct. All right, moving into Dune. So, again, most of my thoughts are going to be contained in that spoiler-filled discussion with our three guests um, in the Dune roundtable. But I want to hear your thoughts, Dylan, because you did see it. You saw it in theaters. You saw it in IMAX. What did you think? I will try to keep my thoughts as brief as possible so that we can get to the bulk of the big talk with all the big boys um i have read the first 200 pages of the book so i've i knew what you didn't even <laughs> i didn't even finish it i told so I do you have, to don't read it so that we can get to your like casual i wanted to read it or read it all the way through don't half do it come on. but it, it presents something oh, interesting man. for me the i will say the parts of the movie that i knew what was happening because i had read the book i didn't like but the parts of the movie that I hadn't read yet, I did like. So, and that may have something to do. There may be correlation there. There may not be. Uh, my thoughts are the first hour, hour and a half or so is the first 200, 300 pages of the book. And it's trying to get rid of a lot of exposition of explaining things. And the pacing is a little bit off because of that. It's really throwing a lot at us at, all at once and trying to get a lot of character moments out there. and Trying to get a lot of pl- plot points out there to advance to the more action heavy parts of the book as opposed to skipping the dialogue parts which kind of sucks because the dialogue parts really really good in the book like they really really they cut out a lot of really cool scenes they cut out a lot of good storylines for a lot of the characters and it is kind of disappointing that they did that but i understand that it is one movie for 400 pages it's a lot that they had to take in 
So I understand why. That's why, of course, I think Dune would do better as a miniseries, but that's a whole other thing. As a movie, as this movie, and in terms of adaptation, it, it, it's frustratingly passable. It, it's, it's good enough. You pulled out our I did. for Falcon I did. and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, it's frustratingly passable. As an adaptation, it's good enough, I suppose. Another um, thing, the CGI is fantastic. It oh, is sure. some of the greatest CGI I've ever seen in a movie. It blends in with the real world elements almost perfectly. Like I've never seen CGI this well done. The cinematography was a little bit disappointing. Uh, it's still great. It's Greg Frazier. It's fan. It, it is amazing in its own special ways. But it wasn't as grand as I was thinking it was going to be as people were setting now, it up. To when you be. say that, when you say grand, like are you talking about the framing of the things or are you talking about like the overall visual appeal of it? I'm talking about the overall tone, like trying to create a grand, to- like like Lords of Arabia grand. Because mm. like, I think it definitely hits that mark, like the massive scope of the ships and seeing all that's, those great that's CGI of that. and a sound design stuff that that is not as much of a visual element the sound design of all these things and the music it's not coming like storyboarded in. and stuff so yeah and i think that plays into again the overall tone but it, it comes down a lot to of the cgi making it look grand and a lot of the elements that have to do with the sound design making it feel grand but the shots of like the desert are very lackluster, if you ask me. I mean, I'm really comparing it to a lot to Lawrence of Arabia, which should have been the benchmark for all of these desert shots of using really wide angle lenses and trying to really show the scope of this massive desert. And they just aren't hitting those moments like that last shot. I won't spoil anything, but the last shot is just not what you would expect the last shot to be is is there's nothing grand about it. It's just people walking like I is it is not hitting the mark as well as I thought it could be hitting the mark for a movie that I was told would be billed as very like it it didn't have to be grand it didn't, they didn't have to make the attempts to make it grand it's certainly not as grand in the book as they were trying to make it out in the movie and I just don't think it goes all the way I think you either go all the way or you stick to the tone that they're setting in the book of being more of a drama and sort of criticism of messiahs which they are hitting in certain ways but not all the way of course i haven't finished the book so i don't know how that well, yeah. storyline plays that out but we'll see comes in the second half of this book and then also very true principally that's in what i equal doing messiahs what, and that is what spencer has told me yes so i understand that it's not going to hit as hard but i felt like i was just disappointed that a lot of the plot points that i really liked were missing from the movie bro it's the politicking yeah the politicking was gone all that stuff yeah it was all gone from the movie It was all completely gone it was just an attempt to make an action movie out of a very political savvy movie and i feel like it missed the mark in that respect of it which makes me very sad so if i had to give a rating what did you guys give it out of five what well you have to oh oh no so i, I can do it came up with the thing oh um, no go ahead and well, out of five, five sandworms, sandworm, I guess, yeah, or yeah. Chris knives or whatever you want to say. Out of five sandworms, I gave it three and a half. Three and a half? Gotcha. Three and a half. I feel like it was just a little bit disappointing. I feel like, I know I shouldn't do this. I really shouldn't. But I did compare it a lot to Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. which is, in my opinion, just a far grander movie. It's just so incredible. Like, it is a brilliant masterpiece for Denis to make. And then to follow it up with this is a little bit 
of uh, flop for me in terms of a lot of things. Like the CGI in this is phenomenal. Like the CGI in Dune is absolutely phenomenal. It is breathtaking. But God, is it is it slow at certain points? And is it is it just sort of Blade Runner? Hello. Blade Runner is slow in a good way. This is slow in like I'm kind of bored kind of ways. Well, okay. But then it is exciting in other parts. Disagree, but sure. It is exciting in some other parts. And then there's parts where it's just like the pacing is just off. Like the beginning, like the beginning hour, the pacing is off a lot in certain scenes. And I'm just like, something is wrong about it. Because they're trying to push so much into one hour. They're trying to push so much story into one hour and so much character development in one hour. That it's just not hitting the mark for me. And I feel like I'm not trying because this is our spoiler free part, I guess. So I won't spoil too much, but there were certain deaths that were not heavy hitting for me as as opposed to I'm sure they're heavy hitting. When I get to it in the book, it'll be a lot more heavy hitting. OK, it, he says it won't, but <laughs> not not really. Again, there's like the same issues of characterization that happen in the film, I feel, do happen in the book as well, like particularly duncan idaho is mentioned so much in the book and i like that in the movie we get to see a lot more of him in his relationship with paul mm. specifically like they make some changes like that that i appreciate a lot and they're yeah. different mediums so you can like forgive like the discussions of they do the same thing with um the duke in the book as well where like you get a lot of people mentioning him before you ever get to initially see him mm. um and so and things like that where i don't know they're just different mediums and because so much of the initial like politicking is cut out of the movie mm -hmm. that's where you lose a lot of the characterization yeah um, which can be usually uh, made up for in the performances like actually getting to see flesh and bones saying these things and doing these things whereas in the book um, it can also feel somewhat distant at times when it's um, they only appear and then drop some lines which again are definitely well-written lines but they don't feel entirely human most of the time as well um so again that is a issue that i think crops up in the book but i certainly see and i agree we talk about it in that um spoiler discussion the characterization of much of the cast and whether or not it was effective mm -hmm. in bringing up this emotional connection um because i think like unanimously everyone who sees it i think can appreciate the visual treat that this yeah, one is i mean it is dazzling the cgi stunning. is amazing it's incredible to look at um when you get down to the story and the characters does it is it still able to hit from both like an adaptation standpoint which we talked about um and it's just from a general movie going uh standpoint is it able to invest you enough and i do think that is partially at least with the extended cast that it has um mm -hmm. there are troubles there so yeah, I can definitely, I can see that. that yeah, I think I just, with the first hour of it, it is definitely, like, in the book, there are these long scenes of just a lot of dialogue. And in the movie, they're doing these scenes as close as they can, but they're cutting out 90% of the dialogue and only keeping, like, the most, most important lines for the plot. And that's why the pacing feels off, is you have these scenes that are back-to-back, -back, and it's just these, like, few very important lines that explain very important things about the plot to help push it forward but you're missing out on 90% of just sheer greatness of lines okay. that you're learning. It's interesting you say that because I think the first um, like 50, no, like first hour of the film is almost flawless. Like I enjoyed it 
so much. But when you get to the midpoint, that's when it becomes glaring. Those emissions, as you said, like how those scenes are, um, there's just pieces of them taken. And then there's also scenes like the dinner scene taken out entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got past when, that in the book. Right. That's, that's when it becomes a problem that those things aren't there because mm-hmm. of what they do in the book. And so up to that point, it's completely fine. Like the changes work. I think it's great. Like it's a very propulsive entry into the uh, world of Dune, like not just the characters uh, in the whole uh, like idea what of is the, the sci-fi of it, but the planet itself. What is um, the exact point in the movie where it starts? Where's that midpoint for you for it to start getting? Well, it's kind of like the spoilery, but where Oscar Isaac wakes up and sees people doing Morse code with flashlight outside. Okay. Um, I try to keep it in as vague terms as yeah, possible. That is, yeah, that's that, good enough. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. But um, yeah, I think there are scenes leading up to there that I think are really good, like the box scene and the scene where they go to the sand crawler and all that stuff. I keep saying sand crawler, but it's not a sand crawler. It's from Star Wars. It's the 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 carrier. Harvester. And the harvester, yeah. Yeah. That scene, I think, is a pretty good adaptation from the book. Um, I think the build up to that scene where it's the discussion with two for Hawat, where he's just explaining things. It's supposed to be one big scene in the conference room, but they split it up into a couple different scenes building up to it. I think that's satisfying. Like it's, it's good enough. I wish they had done more with the scene with Javier Bard, the initial time you meet Javier Bardem. I wish there had been a bit more with that scene, just a bit more. Cause they do most of the dialogue, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. So I just wish there had been a bit more cause they could have fit that in there. Um, I was disappointed with UA. I was disappointed with everything with UA. That is the biggest hit for me is that his character, his, his whole, his whole, what is it? His whole arc. Arc. Thank you. That's the word for arc. His whole arc this in the book that I'm in right now is just so captivating to me. And they've just cut out the entirety of it. That's true. That's definitely, again, one of those, elements of like the politicking as well that whole subplot of the traitor stuff um like who is trying to assassinate paul in his own palace um and we miss so much of that and partially it's because again you can't do that much internal monologuing but they also made the specific choice to make this paul's story instead of more of an ensemble thing which it is in the book yeah. um and so again that's definitely a devastating loss i think they filmed a scene between UA and Lady Jessica. And so they definitely I would have liked to see knew that. that those things were crucial, but I guess it just didn't make the final cut. Um, but yes, that also is again in that like midpoint moment. Like that just had that stuff has no setup and so it falls very much flat. And so for the purely casual viewer, I think it also falls flat. But then for people that have at least some context of the book, it also definitely is a big sore spot. And one last thing to bring up, I I don't know if I'm misremembering from the parts of the book that I've read so far or if it hasn't come up yet, but the voice that they're using in the movie that Paul and Jessica use, is that in the book? Yes. Okay, then I'm just, I'm, I think I'm just misremembering or I'm just not at that point yet or something. Um, I'm almost confident the scene of past the, me the water is like straight from the book. Okay, I might because that might be the first chapter, and I might literally just because that was like weeks ago. Is because I've been reading it at work, and I work weekends, and I only have a half hour break to read it. 
So that's why it's taking me so long to get through it. And so it was literally probably like a month and a half ago is when I read that chapter. So that just came as like a shock to me as I was like, what is this voice they're doing? So I think I just misremember that from the book. But that's fine. Yeah. But yeah, all the desert scenes, all the stuff with the Fremen seemed kind of half done in a way. I don't know. It just seemed sort of could have been better. So I give it a three and a half. Sandworms. I... I'm giving it a 4.5 sandworms. Have you seen it twice? Or just I've seen once? it once. You saw it twice? I saw it twice. God damn, dude. In in the beginning... Ryan was responsible for half of the $40 million that went towards this movie. <laughs> the initial viewing, I was somewhat tepid on it because I had to like process all the changes to the book and I was like, were they entirely effective? Um, but I think in the second viewing having advanced knowledge of that stuff and then being able to look more intently at the way they try to streamline the story. And I talk about this in the like spoiler review, but the way that they try to hone in on Paul's arc, like the narrative progression he goes through in this one half of the story, I think is very commendable and is engaging. And there are some changes like Duncan Idaho in this movie, again, largely because of Jason Momoa bringing him to life. But I think he's so much better than in the book. Yeah, Rooney so far Halleck is like the the man to be in the book. Like that man's amazing. In yeah. the movie, it's Duncan Idaho. He's yeah, hundred percent. He's the. I was disappointed dealer. with Gurney Halleck. Like they really him, Tupper Hawa, and UA were definitely minimized. And so far in the book, Duncan Idaho is barely in it. So I was pleased mm-hmm. to see more Duncan Idaho in the movie. And Jason Momoa did a good job, like a really good job. Mm, for sure. Um, so yeah, you'll hear more in my spoiler field how I'm definitely oh, more. Oh, one more thing. Yeah, I just realized the Hans Zimmer score is not my favorite. It is because it's so otherworldly, so alien. Well, it's not. It's just tones. (laughs) It is. It's just tones. I mean, that is kind of what all of his scores are. But and he's really good at doing it. And I will say that there are parts that are really good, like the whole use of the uh, bagpipes when they're landing on Arrakis is cool. And using the the chanting voices of the women in certain of the desert scenes is really good. And some of the desert scores are really good. But in the battle scenes and the action scenes, it's just the same thing over and over again. And I just, it just became too repetitive. And it was just too much of the same thing over and over again. And I just got sick of it about halfway through. I don't know. It just wasn't hitting as much as Hans Zimmer scores used to hit, like in like Inception or in Interstellar or in The Lion King. Like it just wasn't hitting. <laughs> Stop winking at me when I say <laughs> Lion King. It just wasn't hitting as hard as it could have been for this movie. And it's not my, like I remember you were like, it's time for Hans Zimmer to win an Oscar for a score for once. And I just since don't. Since The think, Lion King. Since The Lion King, yeah. And I was like, this is not, this shouldn't be it. Like, this is, to me, this is like Leo winning an Oscar for The Revenant. Is like, it's not his best role he's done. And what he is overdue for another one, or for one in Leonardo DiCaprio's case, is the same thing for Hans Zimmer. It's like, he's overdue for another one, sure. But this is not an example of his best work. Um, I know you're probably going to disagree with me, but that's I kind of disagree, but again, I'm not too, like, polished on scores and being able I mean, to yeah, me differentiate either. like what's a truly great one versus a mediocre one. I, I thought it fit the world and the tone that they were going for. And I thought it was effective in the way they used it. And I thought it was a mm-hmm. departure from his usual work. Like it's definitely unique. So 
for me, I definitely didn't detract anything. I think it definitely added to it, helped yeah. with the immersive experience. So for me, I'll disagree, but again, I can't really like tear down. Your I think the main reason I'm, I'm bringing up the Oscar race is because Alexander Desplat has two movies coming out this year that mm-hmm. he's going to be contending for. And he's probably my favorite current day composer. And it's, it's the French dispatch. And what's the other one? Is it, uh, it's nightmare alley, right? No. Yes. 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 Is well, he yeah. Cause he won alley? for shape of water, uh, once before. So yeah, he's like a collaborator with Guillermo del Toro. It's nightmare alley. Yes. He's not composing Nightmare Alley. I'm just I'm looking at it right now. Some guy named Nathan Johnson. Well, then what's he doing? I think they changed it because when we did our Oscar draft, it was Alexander Desplat, and I <laughs> How think did he get credited, and then they said psych, it wasn't him. They did some kind of changeroo, maybe because I remember we said he was going to be nominated for two of them, and one of them was French Dispatch. Yeah, he has no other movies coming out this year that he's composing. That's crazy. I really thought he was doing Nightmare Alley. But he's one of my favorite composers, and I still have to see The French Dispatch, but I bet it's great. I mean, his score for The Grand Budapest Hotel is one of the best film scores of all time. I was listening to it in the car the other day, and it's just so fucking good. Like, it slaps so fucking hard. It's absolutely brilliant. And I feel like just, I don't know, it might even be just a preference thing that I just prefer that kind of music over the Hans Zimmer overtones during an action scene kind of thing and it might be also because so many people have copied his work in every single superhero movie that has been made in the last decade and a half that's they're just doing and it's never as good as actual Hans Zimmer of course because Hans Zimmer knows what he's doing and is good at it but I don't know it just didn't stand out as as unique to me parts of it did like the desert tones the desert uh tracks stood out a lot more because he was using more unique instruments and he was using vocals that made it stand out. But a lot of just the action sequence and the in-between sequences sounded sort of stereotypical as opposed to something like Interstellar, which is very unique, or Inception, which is very unique. I don't know. It just seemed not as stellar of a work. Gotcha. I definitely think there was also grand expectations going into possibly the yeah, film, possibly. so that could have... Um, been partially responsible for how people have responded to it in some mm-hmm. ways. But yeah, for me, when I watched it the second time, which I, I do think people should watch it at least once more, yeah. um, ideally again in a theater setting instead of the HBO, HBO Max, because I think oh, everybody should such go a wildly different theaters, yes. experience. Yeah. Well, I'm saying for the second time too, though, if you go. I think for my second time, I'll it. probably just watch it on HBO Max. Yeah, then it's a different experience. But everybody should watch at least once the in theaters. That's true. Um, but yeah, I was definitely more forgiving the second time around. Mm-hmm. And I think I would be too. Crew. So yeah, that might I was initially, I was, but again, because the spectacle, like the filmmaking itself is just so off the charts in this that you really need to, like the floor of it, I feel like has to be at least off the, the charts is not, I don't know. It's not off the charts in my opinion the 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 blending of cgi and real world elements is beyond off the charts like it is the best you could blending between real and cgi elements that you could see in any movie like this will win the oscar for best visual effects because it is incredible how good it looks but as a movie as a whole in terms of filmmaking aspects 
It is not there. No, again, I disagree. I think it will win for VFX. I think it will win for sound. I think it will get nominated for score. Yeah, this, the technically the technical costumes, stuff about it, certain technical makeup. stuff about it is good. I think it'll be nominated for. It will probably win makeup because of production the, design. I'm seeing all I these elements. It, man, I think it'll be nominated for makeup and for costume design, but I don't think it'll win either. Or Still. production design, but I mean, I think it'll win makeup, but I think it will be nominated for costume and production design, but not win. But makeup and VFX and probably sound are shooing. That's what I'm saying. All these elements coming together. To That's three elements. An immersive experience. I mean, I give you like five or six, which again, if they're getting nominated, I mean, if you're in the top five of. But the production the design was also year. not my favorite. I mean, it was great, but it's not my favorite. Well, you're just a sucker for Wes Anderson. No, not even that. It's been it's just it's been a week and I've forgotten what most of those sets look like. But if I think about like Parasite or The Lord of the Rings or like these other great production designs, they are instantly in my memory. Like I remember them exactly. I remember exactly what they look like. And how I, many times have you watched them? Like yeah, but the thing is, I haven't seen Lord of the Rings yeah, in a saying. year. Okay, we gotta, we gotta I haven't seen the Lord of the Rings in a year. I saw Dune last week, and I can barely remember what Dune Still, but like. if you've seen something, I mean, five times over the course of your life versus one thing that you Dune saw. Dune did not week. stand out as being, like, great production design. It didn't, like... That's fair. The Academy like, will disagree. stick out to me. Well, uh, fuck the Academy. <laughs> Jesus. What, fuck them. Anyway, it is time for the main discussion between Ryan and his three amigos. I will be not a part of that discussion because I was not available at the time. Enjoy your hour-long discussion about Dune, about the characters, about all that stuff. Enjoy. Welcome to the box office show. I am here with three guests. Since Dune is so dense, we needed a full team to unpack it, to talk about the movie. So I have fellow filmmakers and my friends here, Alessandro. Yes, that is me. <laughs> Sebastian. Hello. And Carlos. Hello. And the three of them are going to Help me talk about the new 2021 Denis Villeneuve Dune Part 1, in which we just found out recently before we started recording, there is going to be a Part 2, so we will get to discuss that and our expectations for Dune Part 2. But this one, where we talk about Dune Part 1, uh, weird, sort of an interesting focus group for it, because we all we all did read the book, right? Like, I know yeah. Sebastian yes, yeah. and Carlos, yep. you did too, okay. Um, so yeah, we all read the book beforehand, so we're not 
like the casual movie going audience, just the random people that may go to see this movie. So that definitely will influence our opinions on it. But just to start out this discussion, I wanted to ask each of y'all what your history was with Dune when you first learned about it, first read it, first got into it. Um, just your overall relationship with Frank Herbert's Dune world. So, Alessandra, I'm going to start with you. Cool. So, my history with Dune started when my uncle introduced me to it in middle school. Uh, he gave me, I, if I'm remembering right, he gave me a copy of Dune for my birthday. I think it was probably like my like my 12th birthday. And he gave it to me in Spanish. And I tried reading it. I got like maybe like 15 pages in and then I gave up because they were throwing concepts at me and all this terminology and it was in Spanish too. I'm not a good Spanish reader. So I was like, I have no idea what's happening. So I gave up. Yeah. It's not an easy um, read in general. So yeah, in general, it's not an easy read. So you can imagine in another language, it's like, um, but like then like a, I think like a couple years passed and I, I felt bad. I remember the book because he asked me about it. He's like, oh, do you read Dune? And I was like, oh, no, I never read the, the book. And he was like, it's my favorite book. So I was like, OK, I bought another copy in English. And uh, and I read it and it was it was great. Like it was totally different from my first read. Like, yeah, like I, I I totally connected with with the book. A lot of people say the the beginning is like difficult to understand or like it, it like it throws you in and it's hard to understand. But I, I never really like felt like that. Like I, I, I feel like I got most of what it was trying to say. And and it also comes with a like a term, a glossary at the yeah. end of it. So you can. <laughs> yeah. So you, you can like look up terms. The book has its own glossary. It's on like index appendices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's intense. what you know. So some words in the glossary aren't even in the actual book. They just exist for extra context. I, I found that out the hard way. You read and so, and some the of the terms. <laughs> it's impressive. I did. I did. Some some of the terms even even kind of spoil stuff. Like I, like I remember it, I read I read one term without having gotten to that point and it spoiled something and I was like oh let me <laughs> let me stop reading the glossary. <laughs> um, but yeah no it was I mean Dune is is fantastic. I read uh, Dune Messiah after that and then I read. The one after, which is uh, Children of Dune, if I'm remembering right. And mm -hmm. and it's honestly, I think the third book is better than the first one. The third one is absolutely crazy. But uh, yeah, no, I love Dune. So that's my experience. Did you, there's also, there's like those three books you mentioned. And there's another three. Have yeah, you read all yeah. of those? All no, I haven't, okay. I haven't read the back half. That's Then after that comes God Emperor of Dune. And then it's... Um, Heretics chapter of House, Dune. Dune or Heretics of Dune. I don't know what the order is, but yeah, those are. And the then it's Chapter Ch House. Chapter House is the last one. Chapter House okay. is, yeah. a, is a sixth chapter one. House. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sebastian, what about you? Well, I would, I read Dune because Alessandro said you should read Dune. And I was like, okay, I'll read Dune. <laughs> I don't think I had any previous knowledge of Dune uh, before, uh, kind of like, pushed it on to me and uh, I read Dune. I had the same experience. It was hard to get into uh, kind of like Frank just where well, I'm on first name basis with the author. Uh, <laughs> wow. Just, with the dead author. That's great. <laughs> yeah. With the dead author. Um, it just, it's just a very overwhelming book to kind of get into. 
But I mean, if you push through that, you you get an amazing story. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Uh, and then I read Dune Messiah shortly after reading Dune. And I still have not read uh, Children of Dune. It's sitting in my uh, bookshelf awaiting. But I I got I I feel like I got at a good a good point with both books. Actually, it's 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 interesting because the first three books I feel like are very much like a standalone trilogy, and then the the ones that follow are more disconnected from the first three. Like if you read just the first three, you can stop there and you're good, and you 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 basically finish the whole arc. Because mm -hmm. what happens after that is kind of like a really big time skip. So it's like, you know. Yeah, something yeah. like thousands of years it goes in the future. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like thousands of years. It's a huge time skip. So you can pretty much finish after the third book and you'll be good. Dune has it had its own uh, sequel trilogy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, Carlos, what about you? What is your relationship with Dune, the books? So I first got exposed to Dune uh, through my dad. He read it uh, when he was like a teenager and whatever. And like he mentioned it from time to time when we talk about books. Um, I wasn't really big into like reading until like I got out of high school. So I started reading more and more. And uh, I picked it back up uh, one time when we went, because uh, me, Alessandro and Sebastian, we would go around like Miami, going to like different bookstores and can just like, you know, we we're just kind of like chilling. And we were going through this bookstore. And the, the Sebastian has this thing where he buys books that, that like have really nice covers, but never reads them until a, so a certain point he would like try to pick them up. But uh, we we're looking at that, and I saw the, the this cover for Dune, and I was like, "Oh, this cover looks super interesting." And then that Alessandro was like, "Oh shit, it's Dune," and whatever. And then uh, he started explaining like somewhat of the story. Yeah, Ryan is showing it. That's a beautiful someone. cover. That's Ryan is currently showing off his copy of Dune. And then uh, I said on the spot, I was like, you know what? The, like it was since I started getting more into reading, uh, I was like, I'm gonna pick it up and like have a go at it, which is like again impressive feat because someone who's like not, wasn't that much into reading, getting trying to get into Dune, it's like okay, because <laughs> I it, it really is like it kind of just throws you in the deep end. It's like you, you have so much terminology to get through, and like I wasn't really sure what was going on until they finally make it to Arrakis um but it, it was a fun time honestly to to read it gotcha. and then did you read any of the sequel books uh no i'm about to pick up a uh, doom messiah though gotcha. so I, I can read that so yeah, we have for me... a varying levels of of reading so jen read all three i read the first two and carl just the first right it's the latter yep and yeah. i am also just on the first book I am soon going to start doing this act because I'm really excited for that. But yes, I am the most recent person that has been exposed to the world of Dune and read the book. Sebastian, it's your copy of Dune that I have, right? <laughs> it's yours. It is. Um, yeah, it's my copy. So yeah, earlier this summer, I was able to get that copy and then slowly in the beginning started reading through it. But then in the past two weeks in preparation for the movie coming out, I just devoured it very quickly um and what an experience i mean it's very and we'll talk about this with the film as well but as you guys said i mean a, a lot of the terminology the language the world building that happens in that book i mean that's i think the strongest feature of it. it it really is insane yeah and so it's very immersive in that way and so 
like I still, and also because the movie probably as well, but I definitely dreamt one or twice about like very deserty worlds and things like that. Um, so it is so immersive, that whole world. And I'm excited to pick it up more with Dune Messiah. And then now that you have said that Children of Dune is also like very much connected to that, I want to continue with that. The whole like it spanning thousands of years makes me a little more hesitant about the final three books, but I think I will end up continuing with it. But I also hear it gets so much more philosophical, which does pique my interest. The way that it um, just becomes more about that and like exchanging ideas and touching on those themes um, instead of, I know, rooting it in like a more human story that we get with Paul and those characters. So I know that'll be interesting to see how that evolves and how that definitely won't be adaptable to film. But thankfully, we got the first book, the first half of the first book on screen with Denis Villeneuve's part one. And I just want to go around and get your initial reactions because we all saw it in IMAX, the way that it should be seen in theaters in IMAX. Um, And it's been a couple of days since that point. Uh, Since then, I don't know if you all have seen it again or anything but just talk about what your first reactions are i saw it one more time how... i saw it with my dad oh you gotcha gotcha yeah. So, yeah talk a bit about how your feelings have maybe changed or stayed the same since that initial viewing uh who, who goes first all right i think <laughs> we should hand it off to uh, carl because yeah uh, jump in carl. <laughs> all right uh well um, honestly like um First time viewing it was is I wasn't sure about it. I, I knew truly how I felt about it. Uh, and the second time viewing it, it was it kind of like solidified it more in how I felt about it. Even though like I hate to say it, but I kind of fell asleep because I was very tired from <laughs> driving like all over the place. It's, like really bad. I slept through like the first twenty minutes of the movie and when it started picked up the story picks up in the rockets and I was like all right. <laughs> but um, honestly, like I think uh, for what it was meant to be i think it did like a really good job which was meant to be uh for a broader general audience than for the fans um and like we fans have like uh, you know some problems with the movies uh, certain scenes getting cut out like much of the like a lot of like jessica's development gets we felt like you get cut out um but to attract uh like it, it definitely did attract like a decent amount of like new people into the the world of dune and again it it, it was proved right because uh, now we're getting the second part which is like you know god bless but um <laughs> but yeah i i liked it i liked it for what it tried to do uh which was again introducing like new people into the this like super complicated world um uh and again, like my only problem is that like some of the character development, I felt like it was lost because it was focused too much on like the world building, um, which kind of sucks. Cause like I feel like uh, the story could do like with better with like doing like character development and you kind of like, explore the world as you go on, right? So um, I don't know. Th- those are my feelings on it. Gotcha. Yeah, Dune, uh, the movie is very streamlined. It kind of takes the heavy plot points, and that's kind of what it runs with. It doesn't really concern itself with with uh, those more intimate character moments that you would pick up in the book. And I understand because a lot of 
those character development moments that Carlos was talking about are very internal monologue-esque, which can be hard to translate into film. I mean, Denis himself said that this was like a pop movie. He described it. That's how he described it. He set out to create the most pop movie he could uh, make with Dune. I thought that the movie was good for what it was for uh, for what it being a part one to to the book. It did it did have uh, its lacks. I guess, but uh, I found it. I found I I I'm trying to find the best words to describe this. But it, I I don't truly have a problem with those with with most of those uh, character development moments as you would. I thought the that um, focusing solely on on kind of Paul was the right choice. Uh, Uh, shit, I don't know. <laughs> See, I feel the opposite because yeah. I feel like it should have focused on both Paul and Jessica because the, the first mm. half of the book, it's all about them. And True. like, again, removing some of those scenes where Jessica has like the confrontation, uh, well, now I'm speaking from the book, but the scenes where they, like, uh, Jessica has a confrontation with uh, Hawa about like her being like a, the traitor and stuff like that. It's just like, it really like diminishes how much... Uh, Jessica's character is uh, to the story in the movies than it is in the book. Uh, I can see that. I think there's, like, certainly there are those moments where she was more fleshed out. We got to see it from her perspective and we got her inner monologue. So we were able to latch on more to that character in the book because she was definitely one of my favorites from the book. Like, she's great in that. Um, and one scene that I think really showcases that the difference between like a visual medium of film and a novel where you are able to dive into the inner thoughts of a character is the moment when she confronts mad out shape. What, I don't know what her name is, but yeah, you know, yeah. that servant, the uh, friend yeah, yeah. servant. Um, and in the book, you see her, her fear essentially of having to draw on all the knowledge that has been built up by the Bene Gesserit um, peeps about the Fremen culture and the things that are important to them, right? The Chris knife um, and where it comes from, or like using the terminology maker instead of sandworm. Yeah. Like we get to see her fear of like essentially having an inkling of, okay, these are the right words, but not truly knowing. And so she, she's just saying them, hoping that they're correct. Otherwise the whole planning that they've done for centuries of like planting the seeds of the mother and the son, the Nisan Al-Gayim, right? The Messiah figure coming. Um, from off-world would be tarnished. So you get to see a lot of that fear. In the film, I mean, from her performance, you see that, but you don't get the added benefit of the inner monologue of knowing why it's so pivotal that she correctly says Chris Knife and says Maker. And it seems yeah, like I, those... I think, uh, I think the reason why it's like... Because in the, in the book, it's not really like an inner monologue because it's a scene where... It's a scene where Jessica is like having this like nervous breakdown. I forget how exactly how it goes, but she go, finds this like room in the in the cat in the in the temple. No, not temple in the house, palace. whatever. The in palace. the palace, palace. Uh, it's like this like green room, and it's like it's full of like moisture and whatever and like plants. 
And like it goes it's, that extends to like the overall foreshadowing of the entire plot, where it's like trying to get Arrakis to be like this like water planet with plants and life and shit, shit like that. But in that scene is where Shadow Mapes and her have like the conversation about the Chris knife and stuff like that. And I thought I thought that scene was like again my my main problem with the movie is like Lady Jessica's character not getting developed enough. And I fear that it's gonna really affect the second part because um in the second half of the book, like she has like a, she has very she has very like mixed opinions uh, about how she feels about Chani and like being with Paul and stuff like that. So I I just get the feeling like in the second part of Dune, the movie, she's gonna come off as like bitchy instead of like uh, instead of like you know like a developed character. I and mean, that's just how I feel. I can understand those 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 concerns. Um... But I feel like part two might be more about Jessica than it is about Paul. Because, I mean, are we dive, diving into, into spoilers? I know we've said a few things, but are we... We are diving for into... the Dune movie, spoilers for, for sure. Dune. I don't know how much we want to spoil like the second half yeah. of the book, though. So no, yeah, I, don't think, I don't think we should spoil the... Yeah, I don't, think, yeah. I don't think so either. Uh, That's what I was... All right. So I'll just leave it at... There's major things that happen... That happened with Lady Jessica in 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 the second part. That yeah, we kind of deviated this conversation to, towards the book. I so mean, let's get back get to a hint of it at the end of the movie because Lady Jessica gives her like a face. I don't know if like you noticed, but she gives her like a face uh, towards Chani when she says like, "Oh, this is only the beginning." But, well, yeah, she yeah, has, she's mistrusting. Yeah, yeah, sort of like a somber look because she in. On the car ride home when we were first talking about it, I was saying how I do appreciate the way they are fleshing that part of it out where she's now feeling a bit regretful of like making cart shaping Paul into this person that he's becoming where at the end of that film, he's sort of accepting that he's like going down the path that was already laid out for him and he's mm-hmm. leaning into the role of Lisa Al-Gaib and they do that in the book where they're both sort of wishy-washy and being like hesitant and tentative to do that and also realizing that's what they need to do in order to survive i like that here she's definitely like she is fully on the part of oh i don't know about this like this is potentially getting dangerous like she just wanted to get off world um once they like proved themselves in the combat against Jameis. um but then paul was like no my path is here in the desert we're going to continue with this and then yeah, at the end of the movie, you see him sort of like smiling at that. She's saying, oh, this is only the beginning as they continue towards the siege, um, their future. And then she is a bit more hesitant and regretful about that direction they're heading in. Um, so I do like that they did that. Like they made it more consistent of where Paul and Jessica fall. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I do think that particular element as well is like solid character development for Jessica. Like I agree with you that many of the characters like Dr. Yue were in the movie, not very three-dimensional at all. Like you don't get a lot of them. I mean, he's kind of but like I, that in the books as well. That's, I mean, that's he's true. Like you spend character. way more time with him and you at least know <clears throat> mm-hmm. like why he's doing what he's doing, what he is doing. Um, you get a lot more of that in the book. Um, and so in the movie, I think that's lost, but I do think particularly with Jessica and Paul, like the way that they do try to hone in on, their characters um and their arcs i think it did deliver but yeah 
Alessandra, what do you think about that stuff? That what was your initial impression, and how are you feeling about the characters? Whether or not they actually uh, felt fleshed out, if you had a connection to them. Well, I I pretty much agree with everything Carlos said because if anything, my initial impression has gotten worse over time. Because ooh, really? Yeah, because it's just I I feel like this adaptation just stripped the book completely of all its nuance, like every character relationship, every every little like sub piece of subtext from the book is is just like lost in the in the movie. The movie seems so concerned with um you know capturing the the scope of this world and and the you know building the world that it feels like they forgot to create good characters in the in the process. Like I I found myself not caring about any of these characters at, at any given point. Like uh, Duke Duke Leto, for example, in the in the book is a huge character, and he has this whole internal monologue before he goes that is uh, helps develop his character so much. Same with Jessica. Jessica is huge, honestly. In the book, she's the main character yeah, of part one, even more than Paul. Like she's huge. She carries the first half of the book, and then in the um, in the movie, it feels like they just they just made her kind of like a crybaby, which I get that like, it's fine to be emotional, but I don't know. I just felt like she was just such a, such a badass in the books that. I actually, I actually, sorry. I actually no, like no, her, her, the characters, characterization of, of Lady Jessica in the movie. Cause she, she's more afraid for Paul than anything else. Cause she knows that the, that the powers at B like the Bene Gesserit, the emperor all these are dangerous forces and paul is this ignorant boy who is being thrust upon this this prophecy and he doesn't know it and lady jessica uh upon upon like him being tested like knows that this this is a dangerous road and i i feel like that that was that was an an interesting way to convey like how truly dangerous you see her being truly afraid for paul See, but I feel like no, that, uh, the thing with that is like, I feel like I prefer the character version better because then it really pulls into that thing of, because uh, like the Ben and Jesseri are not supposed to like have these feelings and whatever. And it's like, it would make her like a strong character, like written character overall, overall, if it's like, it shows that, that like she can't be emotion, uh, she can't have emotion, but she, it's like, she keeps breaking out because she cares for Paul. And it's like, it's like battle of like, oh, like, do I go with my Benjisari, like training or whatever, or do I go with my mother instincts? I feel like that back and forth would have been a better, like, showcasing of, like, Jessica's character, which is what they do in the book. And it's like, what makes her such a, like, an awesome character in the books. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and it's the problem is not the fact that she showed emotion. Like, you can be a strong character and show emotion. If anything, that makes you even stronger. But the, the thing is that, like, I feel like in the book, it's very much like uh, Paul is depending on Jessica for survival in the first half. She's she's trying her hardest to survive this this invasion and to keep Paul safe. But in the in the movie, it just kind of felt like she was just Paul's lap dog and just kind of following his lead and going wherever he went. And he was calling all the shots. And I I, I don't know. It's just and it sucks to see it also in, in movie one because like I said, Jessica is the main character of of the first half of the book. So to so for her to be so 
weak in the movie version just tells me that in part two she's basically gonna be like a non-existent role because paul takes over completely in the in the back half of the book so it's it's, you know yeah to push back on that because i think i don't know i know how much i agree with that i think part of her like being emotional one is having to externalize again for the visual medium the internal struggle that she's having like again in the book you're able to flesh out over a couple different chapters through like either inner monologues or just little comments that she makes from her perspectives or the way she's interpreting certain things like Carlos, you brought up the scene where she's talking with um the fear and in the scene you see her contemplating whether or not like she uses a voice on him and she wonders "Ooh, was that too far like did i accurately showcase why no i'm not planning on like killing my own husband um but then she was like oh maybe that's too far and it ended up making the fear even more suspicious because now he saw more of her power um but you see like throughout that and throughout the shout out mapes scene like her having these anxieties and these fears that she's also having to contend with and so I think the only way you can really showcase some of those things in film are by having her be more overtly emotional. And what particular scenes, because in the Gom Jabbar scene, like when I thought that was great, the way that she no, that was, clearly that was the saw the scene in the movie. fear that, that the she had. Scene. Yeah, like sending Paul into this, um, this very risky, I mean, this test that he could very well die from. Um, and then she's like doing the fear litany afterwards like i thought all that was great and it was certainly i think more emotion than was outwardly displayed in the book um because again a lot of that was just internal stuff because she has to give the appearance of her being sort of like emotionless and very in control um but again in the movie you need to show that we need to see that on the performance level and so i thought in the gum jabbar scene that worked great and i'm not able to think of any other scenes where like it was overly emotional to the point where it made her come off as weak or like a secondary character to Paul. I do sort of see that where like she was very major and a lot of that's because of the political element, like the whole subplot of who tried to kill Paul, like who's working with the Harkonnens to assassinate Paul or like stir up trouble in the Atreides palace. Since she is a prime suspect in that, there's like a lot more development we development we can have with her in that early part of the story in the book um, but i also feel like in the book there is a turn and it happens when they're in the tent in the book as well where paul becomes the main character essentially like he definitely takes control and then yeah yeah the way sure. they show that in the book which did aggravate me was um she just like suddenly came off as clueless which they needed to do to show how elevated paul's powers are now how like prescient he is and able to understand all these different things um but then they constantly made her like ask questions to him like asking him for clarification about things that it seemed like she was smart enough to know and um like intelligent and clever enough to pick up on so i feel like that turn also happened in the book where she suddenly got downgraded as a result of paul getting elevated um this Mm -hmm. film because it's more obviously Paul's story from the get-go I feel like it's less egregious when she does get pushed to the side so I don't know I feel like it would have been worse if I saw on screen her like being the main character of this film and then she gets uh thrown to the side as that 
you know, seems to happen in the book. So I like that they did concentrate more on Paul from the beginning. Um, and that, again, they found ways to, through the performance, make Jessica's anxieties and interferes and whatnot come out more so that the audience is able to pick up on them. Um, so yeah, that for me at least wasn't a particular issue. But Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with Ryan on that. I mean, again, this comes back to like the story being streamlined. Uh, in in the book, you have all these different characters, tens of characters, well, not tens. You have various characters. Dozens that, and dozens. <laughs> dozens, millions. <laughs> uh, that, that you have, you kind of are wrangling with. You have Duke, the Duke, you have Paul, you have the Doctor, you have Lady Jessica. It's just a bunch of characters that you're kind of in their headspace as they make the move from uh, First Planet to Arrakis. Kaladin. <laughs> uh, Kaladin, thank you. Uh, so the movie, like Ryan said, like kind of like makes makes it Paul's story from the beginning. You're seeing you're seeing the move from his eyes. You're seeing yeah, everything from from his eyes. And you kind of have to do that because this movie was already two hours and 35 minutes long. Yeah, you could have cut down on some of the extremely bright uh, flashbang scenes, as we like yeah. to, to <laughs> yeah. call them. Yeah. <laughs> but That's another thing. I really felt like it had like, way too many like, flash forwards to the visions and shit. Like, it had way too many. Z Zendaya looking at the camera like it's a music video. I mean, <laughs> I'm, not I'm not complaining. I agree. I, I, I mean, it looks great. It's amazing to watch. So I was fine with it. Yeah, I was I was fine. I also like oh, the look was... of the desert more in those in those flash forward scenes than in the actual uh movie. So they they had actual vision. color in those scenes. Yeah, they had actual color. It was I a mean, washed what, out, desaturated desert. That's one thing you can take away from from Lynch's Dune. It's certainly a more visually interesting movie, in my opinion. Because it it doesn't try to like modernize and and make it sleek, uh, it it has its style. I mean, everyone hates Lynch's Dune, even Lynch hates Lynch's Dune, <laughs> but I, I, it does have some merits to it. But that this would be moving the conversation towards the filmmaker aspect of the movie, which I mean, yeah. Speaking of, I think again visually. It is such a treat. It's dazzling. Like the scope oh, no, yeah. of it, this world yeah, for sure. was it's definitely eye candy. It's definitely eye candy. Mm -hmm. Listen, I just complain about it, but it, it is it is I just have a problem I just have a problem with, with modernized uh uh that, that modern like blockbuster look. Uh but it is I mean that, that invasion scene was was beautiful. Uh Caladan was beautiful as well and i think uh said that this is something i had trouble visualizing while reading the book like how they live in these palaces and how do you how do you like visualize these strange worlds into 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 like livable spaces and they kind of did a great job with that in this movie i mean uh the the production design was just on point yeah i, I think we don't know uh, how Go go Sorry. ahead. I was just no, gonna go say ahead. we don't we don't know how livable the city is because we didn't see anybody actually living in it. I mean, that, yeah, yeah that, that's a, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Me and Alessandro were talking about this yesterday. It's like, uh, like the past felt so like barren. It's like 
There was just no, like the zero the life in fine. it. The palace is fine because it's, it's yeah, just sorry, like the politician city. and guards and whatever. But the whole city, you you throughout the whole movie, you don't see a single person living in it besides like the people praying behind the gate in like the palace in front of the yeah, palm that's trees. All, that's all you so see. That's, that's about it. I mean, that also goes back to something like uh, look at look at compare. Let's comp- throw it back to another one of Denise movies. Like you see how lived in the whole original Blade Runner. Really, Scott's Blade Runner feels, and then you kind of go to Denise Blade Runner, and it does have like that sense of like emptiness, which is which Blade Runner twenty forty nine is one of my favorite sci fi movies. It's beautiful, and I and I think it's it's fantastic. But I it, yeah, when you saw the like Arrakis, Arrakis, you first arrived there, like it it feels like barren, barren, barren. Even though you have like it looked huge, it looked massive. You have factories, you have uh, warehouses. Yeah, I do agree with that. The palaces it, were. It does but, make sense to an extent that that it's it like barren because it's like it's this soup like super hot desert planet. Obviously, people are indoors and they're not outside. But it would it would have been interesting to at least see you know some of the Fremen just kind of like living in the to see what they think about the colonials taking over and their opinion about all this. I don't know. I mean, that's another thing. Like you go back to like Caledon, Caledon, God damn it, uh, and, and uh, I really don't think anyone lived there. It, it felt like it was just like the palace, and and that's yeah. it. Like, I might, who are they ruling over? Yeah, uh, that that was the the one thing. It's like they, it's just the 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 uh, the Artrades and their big ass army, and that's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, for me, that wasn't too much of a problem. Like, I don't think I needed to see the citizens living their lives in the city in order to make it seem like it felt lived in or anything. Because, um, again, as you guys said, the production design was really well fleshed out. I mean, all the ships and the locations that we get to see, I mean, they're beautiful and amazing on their own. And, again, there could be rationalizations for why you're not seeing them. Like, if the palace is very much separate from the main population centers in the world, and I feel like that would make sense for something that's 8,000 years in the future, something like that, like where they no longer need to have the the uh, place of government where the people are. I don't know, like, again, you can make rationalizations for like why that is happening. But I also wasn't actively thinking about that during the film of like, oh, where are these people at? Um, no, so that is true. It's yeah, more of a yeah, 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 it didn't yeah, detract yeah. from yeah, it didn't, my it view. Yeah, it definitely didn't detract. No, I did uh, not. I did not. I did not, but it was, it's like one of those things you think in retrospect, you're like going back and, and analyzing it. This right. just, this just further ties into the, the whole pacing thing. Like it, it, the, the whole pacing, sorry to change the topic. But, no, go, uh, go. This whole aspect that it took the mo- Okay. How long did it take the movie for them to get to Arrakis? Like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Probably. And. And by the time they get there, they the they get invaded after what feels like one day spent on Arrakis. <laughs> okay, that is very true. The whole <laughs> like the time taken before we get to Arrakis, I think that's fine. But you're right. The one major glaring issue I have with the structure of it is the fact that we get as sort of like the midpoint, or even right before the midpoint, we get that big betrayal where the Atreides Palace falls and they all get split up and all of that. That is 
a third of the book or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. a sizable chunk Except- and it just does feel like it happens so quickly. And there's so little setup for it because you don't get the scenes like anything with Dr. Yue. You don't get any of the subplot of them trying to figure out who is the yeah. like mole in their uh, in their clan, like in their sphere. Yeah. Because they know somebody's a traitor, but they don't know who, so they're trying to figure that out and they're distrustful and, of each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that in the get... book is such a big build up too. It's like right. it's all rise and then the the uh, meteoric fall of the Atreides house is brilliant in the book. Which here in the movie you get like the mosquito scene with Paul. Then yes. uh, they meet Stilgard, and then it's like, all right, invasion time, and that's pretty much like the the breakneck break breakneck speed of the movie. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of strange that that the Paul got attacked by like a, I think it was a hunter drone. He got attacked yeah. by by uh, the mosquito, and then they they themselves said like, oh, there's a traitor in our midst, but they they seemingly made no move to try to figure out who the traitor is and then they just kind of went to sleep and they got invaded and they're like oh shit we're getting invaded it's like um yes because there's a traitor in your midst well in the movie and again it was like very quick and i don't know how general audience was pick would pick up on it but right after that scene they find the like harkonnen soldier in the wall but they were very subtle like very subtle but yeah that to me is probably like the biggest complaint. Like I love everything up until when that patrol happens. Like I think it was pretty much flawless for what it was trying to do. But then once you get to that betrayal, you realize, oh, some of those things that we had to cut out of the book in order to streamline this movie, such as the dinner scene. Dude, I love the dinner Dude, scene. Dude, so the, the dinner scene is great. Like and because you get to see all the characters in one room. So it's like, mm-hmm. I was so sad when they cut it out. It's, yeah. it's like their final meal before they all get separated. So it's such a cool scene in the... In the book is yeah. integral. I know, but you get to see them navigating the like dangers the of their situation. Gurney singing. Yeah. Gurney singing, you know. Thufir being more untrusting of Jessica. Yeah, that's also when we like first meet Dr. Liet Kynes and you yeah. get to see yeah. like, okay, what is in the book his um his where do his loyalties lie? Because he's not really with the Atreides people because he's working for the emperor, right, has a touch of change, but he has the blue eyes, so it's clearly yeah. clear that he's got yeah, some he's sort like of connection with the Fremen. And so you don't know, like, oh, where does he lie? Where does everyone else in this palace lie? Are the Fremen going to be able to join with the Atreides? Are we going to be able to root out the traitor that the Harkonnens have planted? Like, all of that politicking in the beginning portion of the book was represented perfectly in that dinner scene. And again, I understand why they had to, in the interest of streamlining it and probably inputting more action that would invest general audiences as compared to like political intrigue, which might not be as in, just immediately interesting to the general uh, movie going populace. For me, that was one of the biggest drawbacks is that we didn't get enough of that politicking. Um, and ultimately the rest of it, like aside from those things that were cut out, the rest of it is a very faithful adaptation. Like the, events happen in the same sequence. I mean, the same things are going on. I personally would have liked a bit of changes to the structure in order to allow for more of that setup, more of that politicking, which would also allow for more character development, right? So that gets to your guys' issues, Alessandro and Carlos. 
Um, yeah. But I feel like there's a way to do that where that happens at like the end of the second act, right? Like that's the big crisis moment where everyone's down and sad. We get to see like, and again, I would have to change a lot of things. I would probably take the Liet um, where they visit the ecology center place or whatever. Like I would move that from after the betrayal to sometime in the middle and again, change it from like, oh, they get attacked and that's where Idaho dies to that's where we learn more about as you hinted at earlier on, Carlos, like the overall goal of what the Fremen are trying to do, which is to make Arrakis hospitable. Like they hint at that with like the palm trees in the desert and then that slight conversation there. But I don't think we get enough of like, this is what Dr. Liet is trying to do. This is what the Fremen are trying to do. Like this is their dream here. Um, so I would have liked that scene to focus more on that. I would have to say, cut out one of the, dude, the ornithopters are so cool. The design of that, yeah, yeah awesome. very, they were awesome. they're very cool. We were awesome. Yeah, but I would have cool. to cut out one of the ornithopters or merge them, where like Paul and Jessica are in the ornithopter, um, to save time. And again, I'd probably move that either right at the betrayal, like that's how they escape. They're in the ornithopter, um, but then maybe they're getting chased, and then they have to go into the storm, or maybe they're on the ship with some like Atreides soldiers, but they turn out to be um, the Harkonnen plants. Something like that. But Idaho, I would want to be sacrificed in that scene during the big betrayal battle. And then he like is fighting off the Sardaukar as they're trying to get them as they go into the Ornithopter and they just barely escape. But Idaho isn't able to. So we still get his sacrifice. Um, but I feel like it wouldn't be as impactful because like his sacrifice, the reason why like it means so much to Paul is because that was his, his, it's like his last connection to his home world of Caladan, like the entire Atreides family. He's like the last person uh, that he has contact with that's like part of his family. Because after that, it's just Lady Jessica and Paul from then on. That's true. I think uh, you could still, like having that in the big betrayal scene, like with that big battle going on, I think you could still um, make that case. Because there's going to be a more personal connection as well between uh, Paul and Idaho. And Idaho. Yeah. And so I think it would still be effective as like, oh, this person that was really close to him is now dead along with essentially the rest of the Atreides household. And now he's out on his own. Like, cause he, you get that moment later on when he finds out like, oh, the father, his father's dead. Um, mm -hmm. But he doesn't get to like visually see that happen. Um, with Idaho, that would serve as that, oh, like this is Idaho dying right then and there is me seeing the Atreides household fall. Um and that would work well with the overall, like, I don't know. For me, maybe, maybe, maybe like an unpopular opinion, but I could have easily gotten like another hour of this movie. I would have sat down through it. Oh, Dude, absolutely. Absolutely. When the, the, um, the, the, the editing felt like that, it felt like they, they cut out a lot of stuff because the pacing was yeah. super rushed towards the back end. Yeah. Like, I feel like if you just had like another hour of movie, maybe you could have gotten like all this like Jessica scenes and like the dinner scene and stuff like that. The dinner scene. Yeah. It would have yeah. done better for the movie overall. Listen, we're already yeah. we're already sat through through Avengers Endgame. That was a good three hours. Yeah, and, and it's like we'll, people can handle it. So we can well, sit through Dune it. Dune fans could, but I don't know if the general. That's would. true. You could I mean, also a, cut out some of those those that's flashback the battle, scenes. Right? You could cut out some of those flash yeah. forwards because there were so yeah. many of them. Like, yeah, I, I felt like I was watching the, the Snyder cut of Justice League at one point. They had they had they had so to much get, slow motion. They had to get Zendaya there for at least eight minutes of runtime. 
to justify it. That's true. They yeah, they're like, we, we paid her for four days of filming. We have to justify <laughs> her being here. For real. Um, but yeah, that is one credit to the film, though, is I know when we initially were talking about it, and I think this is because it was late at night when we saw it. I was like, oh, I felt the length. But by the end of that film, when they you see the little the Fremen riding the sandworm and then they're walking off into the desert, I was ready to keep going. I was like, bring yeah, it on. I am. That's yeah, the so that's the one thing. It kind of does leave you wanting that second part. It's like, all right, give me the give me the good part now. They say, it's like, I mean, oh, this is only the beginning. It's like a third. You're like a third of the movie, and it's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> see, but th- but that's what sucks because a part one should not feel like a like an incomplete thing. Right? But I don't think it did. Here's this was another thing where I did see it twice, and I my estimation of the film has grown actually. Like I like it more than I did that initial time. Because um, I can see more of what they were doing. Because there's not like a major plot development or like plot element that they use as a cliffhanger or anything. Um, but there is some sort of character arc that Paul goes through, um, which makes it feel like, okay, there was like a climax here. Like, wasn't they just happened to cut it in half and there was or just left with nothing, like no right. substance? Like, there was a genuine change. That happened and they're different at the end than they were in the beginning and yeah there's room to grow of course there's gonna be that second part but um there was progression which was a change that they made from the book is the whole jamis 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 yeah yeah Uh, we'll go with jamis uh but his role in like the flash forwards where you start out and him talking about going with the flow essentially like yeah, like basically being like a mentor to Paul. Yes, you see that and you're expecting, oh, okay, so he's going to go and meet up with this Fremen dude and he's going to learn some great things from him. But it turned out that he had to kill that guy. And there yeah. it is like a progression, like not so much as a mentor role, but James did serve uh, the journey that Paul was going on in some way because that's the next step in his evolution to being the Kwisatz Satarak. Um, yeah, I like those scenes. Figure. I, I really like those scenes because uh, that's a version of like, him having to kill him in the end. Because um, one of the things uh, like the Fremen believe is like if you take like someone's life, um, you essentially become them. Uh, so I like that little, like, uh, I feel like it added like, a nice little touch to the story. It's like, yeah, he may that. not be there in like life to like mentor him, but like by killing him, he's become one of the Fremen. It's like, therefore, he learns to become. He, he, the, his death becomes part of his, yeah, like the first step in his journey, in his bigger journey. Yeah. Which but I do got to say one thing, because uh, me and Alessandro talked about this yesterday, is that uh, that scene was so much more important in the book. Yeah, it was. Uh, because I, I of, agree with that. Because they cut out the most important part, which was Paul crying for killing this guy. And, like, that's such a huge thing in the book. Because, like, the Fremen are all about, like, keeping their, the water and whatever. And it's, like, the water is sacred. And you have this outworlder, like, spilling water for a dead man. And it just goes to show, like, how much he cares about, like, this person and whatever. Even though, like, he just killed them. That's true. I don't I, know, maybe Alessandro could do it more it, justice. Yeah, though. it's a yeah, it's a huge part in the book because it because up until this point the Fremen like really don't trust Paul. They just see him as like a, a colonizer. 
So when he he kills Jameis, which is also or Jameis, whatever we're calling him, Jameis. So when he kills uh, Jameis, which he's never killed anyone before that, so it should be like this huge moment for him. I mean, to mm-hmm. kill someone. Um, he kills him and he starts crying, and then the other the freemen are like, whoa, what is he doing? He's wasting water on this dead person. And it really shows them like, oh, this guy, you know, he 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 has empathy for other people and he cares for other people. And maybe he's not, not as bad as we thought before. And and it's just like, it's like a really like impactful moment. And it, it develops Paul, it develops the freemen, it develops Stilgar. And and I, I that's that just goes well, back to what I'm saying, that that the, the movie just kind of removes all these little nuanced moments for the sake of, of pushing it forward. I mean, in the movie, Paul just kind of kills Jameis and he's like, okay, I did it. I had to do it. Let's move on. Yeah, I, think and that's like, I feel like that's like the scene that like, it's like, it makes it into Paul's story now instead of Jessica's, which is like, again, how we've discussed before, like in the first half. Yeah. I still think, because um, I remember reading that part where he cries and I was wondering how they were going to be able to convert that to the screen. Because I don't, I think reading it, it comes off far better than it would of Paul crying. I mean, Timothy over, just didn't cry at all. He's like, kind of like, like, all right, I killed him and then walked off. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. there was still a lot of, I mean, you still, there was gravity to that situation where he multiple times tried to get him to yield. Um, mm-hmm. and he clearly like didn't want to do it, but then that moment with Hans Zimmer score kicking up in the background and James was like screaming. <laughs> um adam and he was like okay i have to do this and then he does it and then he's walking through the people as they're all like touching hands in them like accepting them into the tribe essentially and he's clearly not like, happy about it um i still think that worked i just thought it would have felt almost cheesy to have him all of a sudden just start weeping over that um situation in the movie i think it comes across much better in the book the way they did that but i still think the essence of what they were conveying in that book like oh this was a crucial moment for paul does come through enough in the film although i, I, I do I like i don't the, think it would have been weepy sorry sorry to interrupt no, sorry you're good but i, I do know, like the fishing. cultural element of him like crying and then the fremen seeing that as a true sign of respect because of course water is so sacred and um any sort of, I mean, you saw it with like the spitting thing. So yeah, I was going to say maybe they could have done like a spitting thing because since since they established early on that that's a sign of respect, maybe maybe he could have he could have done something similar. Although spitting is not very uh, I, mean, I don't that's know why cry- the, that's why crying would help, like would work. It's like again, it's a different emotion. It's not like uh, out of respect. It's kind of like out of uh, how Alessandro said, out of empathy. Yeah, that's true. He comes off so kind of cool. Here's in this the movie. like, yeah, he, here's this like outworlder, and he cares about these people who have been oppressed for like thousands of years at this point. It's like, you know, it's like it, it's re- it should really like hits the frame and like, oh, like maybe they're not so bad. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's yeah. just how I felt. In the movie, he's very much like holding back, like he doesn't want to do it, but then he does it, and he's very cold, and he's just kind of doing the classic Timothy brooding face and. And walking past people as they're like tapping him, I I, I don't know. It's just it I needed some emotion. I needed some emotion. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's such a like it, since it's like the second to last scene in the movie. It's like such a like a, it would have been like such a awesome scene. It's like it wraps up nicely like part one. Yeah. Also, it would have been development for Channing because Channing would see him crying and would also you know 
Yeah. Allow her to see him from a different point of view. So that's true. I, I would, I I'll concede if there was something where he's walking through the crowd and you see like a tear welling up and then it slides down his face as he gets to where Tony <laughs> is and only she really sees that, um, then I think that would have worked. Because I think I don't know, him like full on weeping over this man's body would have been too much in the visual medium, given with like the rest of the characterization he had. Um, but I think um, that would have been acceptable. If it was yeah, just the, like yeah he doesn't he doesn't have to like straight up like ugly yeah. cry <laughs> with boogers and and like but but yeah, you know he could at least like cry a little bit like you just kill someone you know that's a huge moment i i mean it, I, I i'm never gonna experience some shit like that but I, I can imagine i would start crying if i had to do something like that so like i don't know i wouldn't just yeah. be like it had to be done you know <laughs> it's like I mean, I unless know. you were in a in a uh, in a desert planet and uh, your home just got bombed by some fast uh, scars guard, and you had to <laughs> run away to the desert and kind of <laughs> and kind of had to kill this man, you it's like, all right, yeah, but, it had but, to be done. But that's like his cathartic moment because that's also the moment where he 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 goes from becoming like a boy to a man because he so killed man, this yeah. person, so yeah. he becomes a man finally, and it's like that's a huge transition. That's, that's no, a very I, emotional moment. No, I completely agree that 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 the nuance in that scene was lost. That's one of the scenes that, even though I liked the scene in the movie, and I think it was it was a good climat- climactic moment, it did lose the the impact they had for me in the book. That's one of the the uh, few moments that I'm like that that was way better in the book than it was in the movie. I severely disagree. I don't think the actual fight itself was as momentous in the book. And I think they played it up more with him seeing in the vision, seeing Jameis, initially seeing him as this mentor figure, someone who's going to help me out, who's going to teach me these things, how to deal with life in the desert. And then it turns out that he has to fight this man and kill him, um, like fight to the death. And he ends up doing that. And then also the, like you're saying, oh, his progression from a boy to the man. But I mean, this was him going from Paul Atreides to the Kwisatz Haderach, right? They like telegraph that in the visions where he's getting stabbed by Jameis saying like, when you take a life, you take your own. So him killing Jameis is him killing Paul Atreides, killing that boy. And he's now leaning into the the prophet figure, right? This role that was sort of preordained um, from him being born to a Bene Gesserit um, and being born to a Duke. He's like now leaning into these roles that were given to him and casting aside, I mean, much of his own individuality and his own like wishes and desires, obviously he didn't want to kill James or anything, but again, he, that was the next step that he had to take. And now he's fully on track for that, that yeah, bad that. future, that terrible destiny that he's getting drawn towards. So I think, I do think it worked significantly better than in the book. Because the whole him like tearing up was later. That was like the whole giving the blood ceremony. Um, and so I think that worked. And of course, where they cut it off here, they couldn't really like tag that on because they had to have the oh, triumphant. This is only the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we don't know. Maybe they'll do like the crying scene when they're draining the blood and stuff like that. Maybe. The second part. Let's talk about that though. Part two. Because this was, I mean, that was the cliffhanger I know initially. Like, Alessandra, you're saying they would try to cut it off at the time skip or something like that. How are they going to deal with that time skip, do you think? Like, what are you expecting out of part two? How are they going to 
try to streamline it or try to structure it to make sure that it can all fit in that one movie. Cause we know like the rest of the book has to fit in that part two. Um, how would you want them to do that so that it gives us enough of the substance from the book um, and doesn't like veer too much into like just not being filmable or not being visualized on screen? Well, the last time I read the book was a, was a while ago, so I would have to go back and reread it. But when I, one thing I do remember about the back half is that it was very rushed, in my opinion. Like, that's what I remember it being. I remember the ending of the book being very rushed. If there was one thing I would change from the book, it would be the ending, because I always felt like the ending could use like a, another 100 pages yeah, to, absolutely. to develop, because it, it, it very much feels like, oh, how are we going to do this? And then five pages, oh, okay, that's it, we did it, the end. <laughs> Like, yeah. uh, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought the ending was super rushed. So I'm very curious to see how they do it in the movie. Um, I, I hope it's not this like as rushed as it was in the book. I want to go back to what you said also about the, about you said you would change the, the structure from the book to the mm-hmm. movie. That's one thing about adaptations that I feel having a faithful adaptation doesn't necessarily mean it's a good one. An adaptation should be able to take the best parts of the book and, and, you know, and put them in, but also change certain things, right? If they don't work in book form, you can change them for the movie. You can fix them. Like the ending of the book should definitely be fixed. It should be changed. Um, I don't, again, I don't, I I don't want to spoil anything that's going to happen, but, um, there are definitely characters that could use development that didn't receive that much development in the book in the back half as well. Um, well, Jessica being one of them, you know, the whole Ben and Jessica thing. Um, yeah, I said, I don't know how I can say it without spoiling the book. So I, I do think that an adaptation should, should not be afraid to, to change certain things and, 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 and switch up the ordering, develop certain characters. Like, I mean, in, in this adaptation, they did change, uh, Leah Kynes, you know, Leah can't, Leah Kynes is a woman now, That's which true. Which is another. Not, it didn't change like too no, much. It, it wasn't like a structural it, or characterization change so much as just no. Like, it's it's true. It, it didn't change much. But one thing that did, that did change is that they don't address the fact that Leah Kynes is the parent of Chani, right? That's huge. Also in the true. in the book, that's well, like a big. Do we? I don't know. When do we find that out though? Because isn't it? I feel like that could be a revelation in the second half. Um. So they may be saving it for that. I think we yeah. find out in between like James's death and the time skip. It's somewhere around there. Yeah, I don't yeah. recall it's when we find where, out. Where like Paul is like adopting yeah. like the the culture. See, but that that feels like a change they could have made, right? That feels like maybe Leah Kynes could have said, "Oh, I have a daughter in the tribe," and then he finds out, "Oh, it's Chani." I, I don't know because right now, as it is, I feel like it's gonna come out of nowhere if they just if we come back from the time skip and they're just like, "Oh yeah, by the way, Leah Kynes was was the." The mom of Chani, just gonna drop that on you, casually. Yeah, they kind of like hinted that in the movie, but with her saying like, "Oh yeah, like I'm accepted into both." And the reason why is because of the the daughter, right? But I don't know. They didn't like push it any further. Yeah, that could be more development that I, I feel like is gonna be lost in in the sequel. That they're probably not even gonna develop that relationship between. Leah Kynes, Chani, and Paul. Um, you know, how, how Paul is kind of like carrying Leah Kynes' will 
and and Chani is is helping with that and that whole relationship I feel is just going to be lost in the sequel. I hope not, but we'll, we'll have to see. Gotcha. Um, Anyone else have any hopes or fears, expectations about what part um, two might bring? Honestly, I I hope uh, I don't know because I think honestly the second part is going to start at the time skip and they're just going to do like flashbacks when he was first learning the Furman culture. And I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, here's the thing. I think they made do away with, and I haven't read the future books. So I don't know how important it becomes. Um, but the Aaliyah character, I don't know how they're going to do that. And again, without well, spoiling yeah, like, what happens in it. That's what I was. That's what I was hinting, and I didn't want to say it because I, I didn't know how much you wanted to spoil. Because well, we yeah. know in this movie that she is pregnant. Um, but again, it's not necessarily like this new character. It's how she is and how she came to being that that is like the big spoilery moment but i just don't know how they're going to adapt that. I don't know. I maybe they don't change know it and they just switch it to paul doing the thing right. that leah does they right. might but also i mean this is considering are they gonna do a a dune messiah movie which i absolutely doubt they'll do because but uh, that character is certainly important i feel like especially in the back half. So that is a very good question. Uh, and you already have so much to kind of like wrangle with that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I hope to see Carlos uh, solution would be logical because I mean, you can just, you can just give Paul, you already made this Paul story. So make it Paul story till the end. Yeah. But, but then Again, that would make the whole pregnancy pointless. It, it, that's where I was going. Or yeah. they could switch it and say, instead of like, again, Aaliyah doing the thing, it's Jessica doing the thing, protecting Aaliyah. Now we're speaking in big terms. There's a lot of things yeah. that happen in the second part. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> go read, go read the second part. Go read <laughs> Dune. Read the second part. Wait until 2024 until uh, Dune Part 2 comes out. Well, 2023, right? October is that, is what they said. Was that the release date? That's what they said. At least someone has been reporting on that. Oh, there we go. I didn't know. Also, I was expecting Redo 2024. Redo Messiah. I love Doom Messiah. I feel like that, I'm going that to, is I hope they adapt it. I don't know if they'll be able to do I don't like a big movie thing because I don't know. I mean, it could be like a trilogy type. It could be, which would be really fascinating to see. Like, definitely the whole Paul Paul story, at least, getting adapted. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that would be really interesting to see. But hopefully that does come to pass. I know they're doing the Benny Gesserit HBO Max series. So, I don't know, if nothing else, maybe more Dune will happen on streaming. But I wouldn't like to see the big screen adaptation. Because I know we had also talked about that, Alessandro, a bit of like, oh, maybe this should have just been series since it is yeah, so dense and that would allow more time for the um, development of characters and the plot and whatnot but I do Dune. think that the scope of this like seeing it in theaters the massive scope and then having the whole IMAX treatment like all the sound and whatnot yeah. it's yeah. really critical in immersing you in this world yeah. and that would be such a tragic loss if it were on television because you just can't get that experience so you can't even imagine like watching this movie in, in on a TV. Exactly. 
Yeah. I'll probably go go watch it right now on my TV and see I see if my experience <laughs> changes. Uh, but yeah, no, I completely agree. This show as a as a tele- HBO television show, it would have been would have been like Game of Thrones level successful because it has the same uh, like political thriller elements. It's a big world. You have a lot to explore. You have a lot of characters that that you can play around with and they're all wonderful characters in the books uh i mean you have the mentats you have the fremen you have i mean it's the bene Gesserit, the emperor himself there's there's a whole world to explore and doing it in in a cinematic or as a, a movie runtime doesn't really do it justice and i feel like that's the biggest fault any dune movie can have it's just you have too little time to do so much. Yeah, that's another thing that Ryan said before that I wanted to reply to, but I never got the chance to, which is that he said, like, people aren't that interested in the political aspect, but, like, I heavily disagree with that. Cause I mean, people, I am interested for sure. Yeah, I'm that's, just saying, the, no, no, that's but, the best no, but the part. Mainstream, no, but the mainstream is also because people love that, like, political intrigue aspect. I mean, Game of Thrones is, like, the biggest show ever. I mean, and Game of Thrones was boring. Eight and all that. Right. Like, people love Game of Thrones. Like, in the early seasons when it was about the political machinations and all this, people love the show Succession, which is just, like, a rich family screwing themselves over. Like, people love this, like, whole backstabbing mm-hmm. political aspect of it. So, I, I, if this was, like, an HBO Max show, it w- yeah, yeah, it would have yeah, been, been killer. Huge. It would have been killer. Yeah. Yeah, people would be talking about it. It would be like way past Squid Game and all these other things. Like, it, it, you know, and again, and it was, it's just, you have so much story and so much to explore that it it it's it's rich. It's a rich story. Yeah, very true. All right, moving into final thoughts. So, give any other last minute opinions. The lowest lows you had during it, like things you disliked the most, and then the major highlights, favorite scenes or favorite moments, anything like that. Um, and then we'll hit them with our rating out of five stars at the very end. Out of five first, stars. The lowlights, the highlights, what would you get? What would you say as your final parting thoughts, Alessandro? Uh, final thoughts is that I'm angry at Denis because I always <laughs> told myself as a kid that I was going to direct the Dune movie someday. <laughs> and then he swooped in and just kind of Maybe stole you that can... from me. Maybe you can make the more successful doing uh, HBO Max show. So, I'll, I'll make a version that isn't the cinematic equivalent of melatonin. <laughs> but, okay, uh, you would have to if you do that. I want to. <laughs> I want all six books though. If you're gonna do that, I want to yeah, see all six books. Yeah, the all and like the 48 spinoffs by his son Brian. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Who nobody but reads or cares about. <laughs> which no one gives a shit about. But uh okay, no, real final thoughts. Um I thought the movie had really good moments. Like the spice excavator scene I thought was awesome. The mm-hmm. the gum jabar scene was incredible. I think that scene was even better than it was in the book. Actually, that was um, the first scene that they shot for the movie. Oh really? Oh interesting. Yeah. I know that. Uh, the production the, expert. <laughs> the 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 sound design in the movie was awesome like the 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 vo- like the voice oh, the voice yeah, yeah. the voice yeah, is the, so cool the, I also really like the, voice the way it was represented in the edit i also yeah. really like that yeah it felt like the theater like shook when the voice came out like i was like, i mean oh, crap 
uh, <laughs> let me cut in for a second and say there was one specific moment in the tent when Paul screams at Lady Jessica. My body straight up stood frozen for five seconds. Like I, I felt my heart like because it was, <laughs> I it was it was extremely loud and it was uh, intense. It, it was intense. It was good. Continue. Good. No, I'm just, I mean, just to wrap up. Yeah, I mean, it, it had really good moments. Uh, I like all the casting. The casting is awesome. The set design was cool. The, I mean, it was just like a really well put together picture. I just feel like there was a few structure issues, a, a few editing problems. I didn't even touch on that, but there was a few moments where I felt like the editing was kind of weird. Like in the, in the, in the, sorry, spoilers. I mean, at this point, the, <laughs> the dinner, like, like the Dukes, when the Duke died, right. When he, he spit out the poison on the bear, like the, it felt like that scene started and the Baron was about to go into a speech. He got like one line out and then the scene just cut away for some reason. And I was like, why are you cutting away from this potentially good moment? But whatever. I mean, editing was kind of funky um but yeah i mean i think it had good moments it had a lot of potential i do think it's they, they focus too much on the on the world, world and not building. enough on the nuance yeah i agree all right seb your final thoughts i thought it was a decent movie like alessandro said it had it, its moments it had it had high highs and low lows like uh I mean, not very low lows because I I pretty much enjoyed most of the movie, but I mean, just the epicness of the movie really came, of the book came through in the movie. Uh, Denis doesn't fail to make a good sci-fi movie. I think that's what he excels at. Um, I the casting was all every single one was on point, which. Before the movie came out, I had doubts about certain actors and, and playing certain characters. But I I just, everyone nailed it. I thought everyone was on point. Uh, uh, Javier Bardem was in two scenes and he killed every single <laughs> yeah, one of them. Even talk about Javier him. Bardem was, was the best, was like one of the he, best parts of the movie. He was so good. He literally just came in like he came in in Skyfall and just stole the fucking movie. <clears throat> And and we let him. Um, I'm excited for part two. I feel like part two um, has potential to be excellent. Uh, you know, I hope they cap they 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 do justice to. Well, there's not a lot to do justice in part two because it's all rushed. Uh, I mean, I like hope they do justice to the Fremen itself because right. that's something oh, they didn't dive into the in the first. Part. True, but I, I think it's it. Paul's rise is is so cool to see in the books, and I hope that really comes through in the in the in the movie. Out of five stars, I would give it two and a half, very middle of the road. That's how I feel. Me too. Two and I a half feel, as well. I feel like maybe it's a, two. a. There you go. Uh, maybe you can. I mean, what was I gonna say? Didn't Alessandro interrupted right. me and he? God damn it, Alessandro. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think I think it could have been better. I it did lose a lot of its important moments. All right, Carlos. Uh, this is tough, man. Cause like I I want this movie like to succeed. I mean, it did because we're getting the second part. Of it. But um, it's like I just had like again. Uh, I agree with Austin. It's like there's so much nuance that was like 
that it adds so much like richness to the book and it could have been done i feel like there could have been like a compromise that could have been reached to do it in the movie that's why i feel again it might be an unpopular opinion but i could have easily sat through like another hour of that movie and you could have added all the scenes that like were missing there um but yeah i think uh, again it succeeded at what it needed to do uh, even though uh for us fans it's kind of like uh it was very like okay um but funnily enough i'm gonna give it a three a three all right there you go yeah so it's 2.5 2.5 and a three all i want now is a toy version of the ornithopter however i just want to have that on my shelf yeah I feel like just that was my favorite part. Wait for it to come out on like Lego or something like that. Lego can't do that justice. I need like a a good scale replica. That that was my easily my favorite part of the movie. I need a Lego Dune video game. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> I mean you have six books to adapt. So, I don't think they're there you go. conducive to a Lego video game though. It would be the most existential Lego game ever made. <laughs> <laughs> ask you philosophical questions you, instead of you having to build a Lego thing to get through a they, door. They they make you press X to stab uh, Janice. Uh, you know, it's like it's like, do, would you do it? Would you or have to do X what to you have stab, to do? Stab Janice. It's like a Ubisoft game. Yeah. <laughs> or a Telltale. Make it a Telltale game. Telltale game. All right. Well, there you go. That was our discussion of Dune, Denis Villeneuve's 2021 adaptation of the first half of the book. And in two years, we will get part two. Hopefully, it will be able to um, do more justice to the book. It seemed like that was mostly what the issues were um, for this group of people that read and loved the books. Group of It'd nerds. be funny to see how... <laughs> received of it angry was film watchers <laughs> how res- how well received it was by general audiences that knew nothing of the book because mm-hmm. um, i don't know i feel like there could be could be difficult to get into the world if you're like just coming in without any previous understanding because i mean it is dense and it it gives some like exposition but it doesn't really hold your hand too much but i mean it did well enough i mean it's getting that part too so we will see if Dune will end up becoming a big sci-fi franchise over the next few years. But at the least, we will have the complete story. We will have part two. So we're looking forward to that. And there you go. Do you guys want to plug your social media or anything like that? Who's going to do it? I see you on the camera. <laughs> uh, well, you can, you can, this is Alessandro. You can do it, bro. <laughs> You can follow me. Well, you can. I'm gonna plug my own. You can follow me at Instagram <laughs> at Ale Beluna, A L E B E L L U N A, and also spelling it out for our, everyone, of course. <laughs> and also, please follow our our film account, The Missing Frame at The Missing Frame Co. Co. Uh, we we uh, again, yes. we make short films because we're filmmakers. That's what we do. Uh, and I'm gonna since. Alessandro did it. I'm going to do it. My Instagram and Twitter is at SebasFMP, S-E-B-A-S-F-M-P. I feel like I'm a radio uh, announcer with that one. Uh, I I post stories sometimes. I 
post pictures of boring things and I plug all things film. So don't follow Carlos, right. by the way. I'm not gonna get yeah, him a chance sorry. to do it. Don't follow Carlos. <laughs> don't don't follow me at Carlos underscore R I I R A Z A B A L. Don't don't do it. All right, there you go. And where <laughs> and where can we find you, Ryan? Where can we find this podcast? Uh, you can find well. I'd imagine you're already listening to the podcast. You already found it if you were listening. <laughs> so don't have to plug that again. But yeah, thanks again to each of y'all for coming on and just for posterity, give your full name pronounced correctly. Since I didn't want to butcher it all, but go ahead. My name is Alessandro Bellido de Luna. My name is Sebastian Marcano Perez. And I'm Carlos Irasawal. <laughs> See, y'all are already becoming <laughs> podcast people. <laughs> the way you yeah, announce those yeah. names. <laughs> yeah. Hit them with the A's. We have to we have to we have to emphasize the R's. You have to emphasize the, the Hispanic nature of the names. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm it goes back to the Ale- joke. Alessandro Bellido de Luna. <laughs> Alessandro. <laughs> we made the name uh, Thanks for having us. Thanks yeah, for having thanks. us, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having us. This this was fun. Of course. I, I, I try to hold back. Yes, definitely. I I was holding back the entire time because I just wanted to uh, scream at Jin about how all his opinions are wrong. So <laughs> And Alessandro, I, that's why Jin is Alessandro. That's his nickname. That, that is, in fact, my nickname. They'll catch on. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's they'll okay. catch on. It's very hard to call him Alessandro when I have to call him something, like, something completely different on a daily basis. Don't worry. It's fine. I, I had friends back in high school who, 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 a friend who found out my name was Alessandro, and, and he had known me for like three years. <laughs> what? He didn't know? Because he went by Alex? My actual or... name was. No, because they go by my nickname, which is Jin. Oh, yeah, we basically we all call him Jin, and that's like a thing. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I picked yeah. up on that on on the set that you guys would refer to him as Jin, and yeah. I would switch back and forth between Alex and Alessandro. Yeah. He's a man of many names, like Paul. Moody. Like, we never like got Moody. It's coming in the second part. <laughs> Thank no, you. I'm Carl. gonna tell people you you can call me Mod Deep from now on. <laughs> You should. Margin. 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 <laughs> all right. Well, once again, thank you all for coming. It was great talk about thank Dune. And to our listeners, have a great rest of your day. Go see Dune in IMAX. Not on Go HBO see Max. Dune on IMAX. Go yeah. watch Dune right now. Support theaters. Right. Support theaters. Buy all the concessions, overpriced concessions you need to buy to make sure theater lives. It's a sacrifice we all are taking. The concessions must flow. (laughs) Yes. All right. And we're back with me again. Thank God. I bet you missed me. Just briefly, fuck you. Just briefly, (laughs) movie of the week is Blade Runner 2049, since that is the Denis Villeneuve film that came out before Dune, and also our movie of the week from last week is Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2049 is a great movie. Go watch it. I think it's better than Dune. I think it is 
the CGI is is not as good as Dune, just because it's not blended as well, even though it is still phenomenal in that movie. I think the score is better. I think the cinematography is better. Go watch Blade Runner 2049. It's an excellent movie. You will love it. Anyway, that is all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDay. Be sure to tune in next week. We love you all. Thank you for listening. Adios. Adios.